Dear Father in Heaven, we want to begin today's podcast just coming to you in prayer. God, um, for those who are listening in real time, uh, God, our hearts are hurting for another shooting, in fact, two mass shootings in the past couple of weeks in New York and in Texas now. God, we're praying, praying for the families of those who are hurting, those who are mourning, God, we know that um, your kingdom is alive and well, but we also know that the enemy is alive and well, and he is trying to spread hatred and death and destruction. But we want to pray for your kingdom to come, to bring life, to bring healing and restoration. God, uh, through us, through your people, and even through this podcast here, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome back to the Such Things Podcast. I'm David, and we are wrapping up our time with King David in the Bible. Um, His resume of kingly accolades certainly impresses. He expanded his nation's territory, defeated their enemies, brought peace to their borders, built relationships with neighboring countries leading to greater prosperity. He helped transform them from a fledgling group of separated tribes to a unified nation. But as we saw in our last podcast, the picture of David left for us in the Bible was not all glorious, was it? Uh, You know, last time we looked at David and his sin with Bathsheba and all the sins surrounding that that episode. And you might call that episode, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Certainly there were serious repercussions for David's sinful choices. And Bathsheba was not his only failure. In so many ways, his life becomes a, a parable for us of reaping and sowing. But I think David shows us how to fail. As the man after God's own heart, who also failed pretty incredibly, spectacularly, repeatedly, he shows us something. How to fail forward. How to fail forward. How to grow even from failure. I think much of it had to do with his relationships. His relationships saw him through the dark times. Of course, his relationship with God. You know, David shows us um, a willingness to humble himself before God. We saw last week that when, when he was confronted over his sin with Bathsheba, he said, he acknowledged, he said, I have sinned. And then he prayed in Psalm 51. He said, against you, God, against you only have I sinned his relationship with God, but it was also his relationships with so many individuals in his life. He shows us a willingness there to listen, to listen, listen to his Nathans, to his Jonathans. Remember the Abigail lesson that my wife Lisa shared with us a few podcasts ago. He listened to people time and time again. His relationships saw him through his dark times. 
I think it's this relational nature in David combined with with his just you know his humility that that was key to him being a man after God's own heart. It was his saving grace, if you will, because you might argue that David actually sinned even more than King Saul did. So why why is David called the man after God's own heart? I think it's about this, this his relationships, that humility. And this gives me hope, <laughs> guys. There's hope for me. Like, okay, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can still be a man after God's own heart. I, I'm challenged um, by this relational aspect of David. I'm, I think sometimes I'm relationally challenged. Um, I mean, you know, for me as a disciple of Jesus, a lot of it has been, um, a lesson in learning how to love, learning to prioritize relationships. Yes, with God, but also with people. It's not necessarily natural for me, but I've worked at it. Um, I mean, even from the time I was little, my parents would talk about how like in preschool, I would just run through other children on my way to get the toy that I wanted on the other side of the preschool. Like, like that's just, that was how I was. And they had to teach me like, hey, there was another kid there. You can't just run through them. And then now as an adult, as a Christian, I've had to learn like, oh, I can't just run through people. People are not obstacles to be run through. People are not tools for me to use. People are there for me to build relationship. <laughs> um, I remember a book I read early on as a, as a young Christian, as a teenager, in fact. I read this book called The Friendship Factor by Alan Loy McGinnis still on Amazon. I looked it up yesterday, The Friendship Factor, and it talks about how you've got to prioritize people in your life. And I'm so thankful. This has been an ongoing lesson for me. David was relational. God is relational. Jesus was relational. Even the very Trinitarian nature of God shows he is relational. All right, back to David. Thankfully, reaping what you sow works in the positive as well as the negative. You can, you can sow seeds of relationship and you will reap great relationships in life. So on this note, let's talk today about King David's legacy, what he left behind, or rather who he left behind. There, there's so much we could say, so much more to say about this man of God, so much that we have skipped over, so many chapters and episodes in his life. I mean, so many sermons that I've preached that I'm not even covering in the in the podcast. Maybe someday we'll do the outtakes. I mean, shoot, there, there's even just, just little stories like David and Mephibosheth. Go look that up. The story of David and Mephibosheth, the son of, uh, of Jonathan, how David took care of him. It's this beautiful story of grace. Uh, we skipped over that. We didn't even look at it. We didn't touch on it. Uh, there's so many other incredible stories and lessons, but we, we've got to bring this thing into a close. So let's look at 
the man's legacy that he left behind today, okay? David's legacy, what, or rather, who he left behind. First, I gotta just say something about the mighty men. David left behind this group of soldiers, his mighty men, the Bible calls them. From a band of malcontents to a mighty army, from a few hundred rebels huddled in a dark, damp cave to the army of God. There's a verse that says, um, men kept coming to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. These mighty men, go read the tales of the mighty men, the exploits. These men were legends in their time. They, the, their stories, their exploits, um, you know, young boys and girls in Israel grew up hearing the tales of these mighty men who stood up for God and for the nation of God. And, you know, where were these mighty men when David went and slayed Goliath? They were hiding. They were living in fear. It wasn't until David came along that these mighty men began to coalesce. David truly inspired and lifted up the nation of Israel. He defeated Israel's enemies. He massively expanded the borders of their nation. But I think more than that, he lifted up the confidence and and the faith of the people. He made them believe. That's what good leaders do. I don't know if anybody watched, I believe it was last summer, uh, the, the the Netflix series called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan. And, uh, you know, Michael Jordan, incredible basketball player, the GOAT in so many ways. I guess you could debate that. You know, he was not a perfect man. I think that comes through in The Last Dance. But here's what I loved. He elevated the play of every man on his team. He made them believe. He kicked their butts and made them champions. See, it wasn't just David's stats or or the championship rings on his finger. He left behind, he, he elevated the play of the nation, of the mighty men. And he also left a son, a son and something very special that he left for this son to do. So, all right, let's move on. We talked about the mighty men. We touched on that. What else? His legacy, who he left behind? His son, Solomon. David installed Solomon on the throne after him. There was a bit of a, there was a, there was some competition. There was some family, the family began to split and, and vie for the throne. That was part of the, the consequence, the repercussions, the, the reaping of what he had sown. His family was divided. David did not often do a great job with his family, but he finally got Solomon installed on the throne after him. And Solomon would go on to continue this remarkable expansion of, of the kingdom. And uh, th- this incredible time of prosperity under Solomon. Of course, Solomon would, would, would write the Proverbs, and Solomon had his own ups and downs. You can go read more about him. But perhaps most importantly, Solomon built the temple for God that David had wanted to build. 
But God said, no, David, you're not to build the temple. You have been a man of blood. Solomon will be a man of peace. By the way, if anyone out there, if you if you struggle with all the bloodshed in David's life, well, we know it was a different time, but also know this. God saw that, and God saw, no, you are a man of bloodshed. You will not be the man to build my temple. Your son, my temple, will be a place of peace. And so your son, Solomon, will be a man of peace. He'll build the temple. So what did David do? He left plans and supplies in place. And let's look at this. In 1 Kings 8, years have gone by. David has passed away, and Solomon has finally completed the temple. We need a sip of coffee before we read this. Listen to this. 1 Kings 8, starting at the end of verse um, 11. After Solomon built the temple and he's dedicating it to the Lord, it says, the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he has promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built for my name to be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people. Solomon goes on. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple. But your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build a temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made, Solomon said. I have succeeded my David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there. I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them up out of Egypt. More than expanding their borders, David, through his son Solomon, through the building of the temple and through the legacy and the life that David left, more than expanding their borders, David expanded their faith. He pointed his people to God. He moved the needle of their hearts, of their collective heart of the nation toward Yahweh. He left behind through Solomon a place where God was honored and sought. Solomon said, I have provided a place for the Lord. Have you been making a place 
for God lately in your life? Will you provide a place for God? This is just a side point. I've got to touch on it. You need to hear this point. We'll, we'll come back to David's legacy in just a second, but how you doing with providing a place for God in your life, in your home, in your family, in your schedule, in your heart, in your mind? Will you provide a place? If you provide a place, as Marty Solomon says in his Bema podcast, if you provide a place, for the Lord, he will fill it. As, as Solomon was dedicating the temple and providing this place, it says, the glory of the Lord came and filled the temple with a dark cloud. You want to see God in your life? Provide a place for him. You say, well, I don't have time. Make time. My job won't allow it. Have you thought maybe God wants you to get another job? I don't know, but provide a place my children's activities, it's, they're too busy. Do less activities. I mean, just get up earlier. Stay up later. Provide a place for the Lord, and He will fill it in your heart. Make a temple for Him. All right, that's not what the sermon is, though. I'm preaching. Let's come back. Let's come back. Because this leads right into the next piece of David's legacy that he left for us, that he left behind. Yes, he left the mighty men he inspired the nation. He, you know, the army. He left his son Solomon, who built the temple, but he left his relationship with God. Specifically, he left us the Psalms, a lasting record of his heart for God, his struggle with God, a chronicle. Go read the Psalms, a chronicle, a journal, a diary a songbook, a prayer journal of his walk with God, his life with God. It's spelled out on the pages of the Psalms, left for future generations. Go read the Psalms that David left behind and you will see his relationship with God, the heartbeat of who he was and all he did. You'll see his ups and his downs. It's, it's, it's in full technicolor, right there, all the emotions. Read the Psalms at the middle of your Bible, the longest book of your Bible. He left his relationship with God, his heart for God laid out in the Psalms. See, more than expanding their borders, the borders of the nation, and more than expanding their faith, by, you know, leaving them the temple. and He expanded their and our heart for God. He shows us, he showed them, and he shows us what is possible, what is available to us in a walk with God. He elevated, guys, if I can be so bold, when I look at David, I think David elevated the Bible story to new heights in terms of humanity's intimate connection to our maker. David like charged, he, he pushed the kingdom of God farther, not just in terms of the borders of the kingdom, but the borders of our heart, making more room, expanding our heart for God. Just look at this. Look at this psalm that he left. This one's actually recorded in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 22. 
this song of praise. Let me just show you. I, I don't, it's a kind of a long one, so I can't, I'll just read some selections. Please listen. Please listen to this. Let me show you what I think David got about God. What David got about God. The Psalms are so full of it. It's so full of this. In fact, well, okay, I'll read this in just a second. Second Samuel 22, but I got to tell you this. Let me encourage you to figure out how to get the Psalms into your prayer life. I decided uh, after I moved to Myrtle Beach and we started the church and I felt like I needed to go deeper and farther in my prayer life with God. And I thought, okay, well, I got the Psalms as a guide. And so um, there's 150 Psalms. So one a day, that's about, you know, roughly half the year, give or take, um, you know, six months or, or so. I'm not good at math. Um, so I said, okay, a Psalm a day keeps the devil away. So uh, I don't know that I exactly stuck with it, you know, every single day, but I was pretty good about it. And I would go and I would take my prayer walk and I would read through a psalm and I would pray through it stanza by stanza, reading it and putting it into my own words, reflecting upon it and praying it back to God. I might need to do that again because let me tell you, y'all, during those months, I prayed about things. It took me to places and topics of prayer that like new, it was a new frontier, like Star Trek. I mean, I was going into new frontiers in my prayer life because I would read things and I think, when am I going to pray about that? And then I would just start praying. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, that was good. I didn't, you know, that's what the Psalms are for. I right, look at this one. What did David get about God? Second Samuel 22 Verse 1, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. All right, so he's coming into this, this time of peace and prosperity later in his life, and he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent men, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. Y'all, he's showing us how to pray, how to put our hope in God, how to declare our trust in God. He says, the ways of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Can you relate to that? Have you been there? This is poetry, but it's also descriptive of real life. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David had some tough times, did he not? Times he didn't know if he'd get out. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came into his ears. We'll pause there. The first thing David got about God is, is he says, he's saying here, I trust him. I trust you, God. David just trusted God. We, we've got to, he shows us that we've just got to trust God. When it's tough, when it's hard, when the torrents of the grave, you know, torrents of destruction overwhelm us, the ways of death swirl around us, we keep trusting 
God. I trust you, God. He declared his trust in prayer. Skipping down to verse 17, what else did he get about God? He says, okay, I trust him. I trust you. Then he says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. First, David says, I, I, I trust him. I trust you. The second thing, though, he got about God, he says, I, I delight in him and he in me. I delight in God and he delights in me. He says he rescued me because he delighted in me. I think David just delighted in God's delight in him. You ever see a watch just a a, a, a a parent playing with their child? You know, roughhousing with their child. And just just I've been trying to catch this lately with my kids. Where was I the other day? We were at the pool the just the other night with the kids. It's warming up here. Summer's coming. We were at the pool and my wife and I are just, I think we were sitting in the hot tub talking and there's my, my youngest over there playing with his sister and we're just having a great family night. And we just look over at him and he's just sort of dancing crazily, standing next to the pool. And we look at him and he sees us looking at him. He just looks at us and just smiles and laughs and just keeps dancing for no reason. And we just were delighting in him. And he was just delighting and being delighted in. David got that about God. That's key to a good walk with God is the mutual delight. You know, earlier I skipped over verse 8. It says God became angry. It says the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Why was God angry in this psalm that David's writing? God was angry not at David. He was angry for David because David was under attack. See, David understood that what really makes God angry isn't us, per se, but anything that comes against us. What ticks off God? It's not so much that like, you tick off God. God delights in you. But it's all that comes against you. It's your sin that's coming against you. It's the devil. It's the, the, the matrix of this evil world coming against you. That's what ticks God off. He wants to deliver you from your sin because it's coming against you and you are his child. David got that about God. I think so many of us, we think, oh, God's just so full of wrath and angry. The only way God can respond to sin is wrath. Because when I see harm coming toward my child, I am filled with righteous indignation. I will do anything to stop that. I will come with wrath in opposition to what is coming against my child. I remember when my youngest, um, he was just a baby, and he reached into the recycling bin and, and, and sliced open his finger. And we had to take him to the hospital. He was screaming in pain, and I had to... I, I mean, I, when I got into that ER, it's a good thing they got us right in because I was I was going to make room in that ER for my child. 
like forcefully, like I was going to get arrested. I mean, let me tell you, because I delight in my child. That's how God feels about us. David got that about God, but there's more. Read on in this Psalm, 2 Samuel chapter 22. You didn't know there were Psalms outside of the book of Psalms. Yeah, there are. Look at this, 2 Samuel 22, down in verse 22. He says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. Verse 26, he says to God, To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But... To the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. See, David says, I trust you. I delight in you and you in me. But he also says here, this is what David got about God. I am faithful to you, God. I am faithful to God. I obey him. I will always turn back to him when I have disobeyed, when I have sinned. I will come back and I will be faithful. God wants us to be faithful. We're not perfect. David was not perfect, but he was faithful. He repented. He came back to a pure heart again. We can do that. And the last thing I see here, not the last thing in the podcast, but the last thing in this point, stay with me. Oh, I got to go quicker. Down in verse 47, he says, as he begins to close out the psalm, he says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. The fourth thing David got about God, I worship you. I worship you, I praise you, I exalt you. David got God like few others. I wonder if I do. I wonder if you do. Is God the central axis of your life? The primary desire in your heart? The first place you run for help? You know, like when you have a headache, do you pray? before popping a pill. Prayer, then pills. Prayer, then ibuprofen. When you're upset, do we go for a prayer walk before posting online or complaining to a coworker? When you need guidance, do you search the scriptures before searching Google for an expert opinion on the matter? I mean, this is convicting stuff. Is Is God our best friend the way he was for David? Is God your sheltering tree, your king? He was for David. See, King David knew who his king was, and he worshiped him. He says, I exalt you. I praise you as long as I live. I will praise you every day. I will praise you. Do we only praise God on Sunday morning? And even then, is it kind of like we just let the singers on stage do most of the singing? I mean, David says in another psalm, every day I praise you, Lord. We need to be praising, worshiping. We need to be worshipers. This is why, guys, he got God like few others. This is why David was a man after God's own heart. 
And he failed many times, but still somehow he was faithful. You may feel like a failure. So take heart, dear brother. Take heart, dear sister, dear listener. Take heart from David's failings. Learn from him and renew your heart for God, your king. Over over in the next chapter, 2 Samuel 23, I love this. It says, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. And then he goes on and he leaves his, his last words, which I will not read. You can go read them privately, quietly. Second Samuel 23. But I love that phrase. It says he was Israel's singer of songs. I think that's what he wanted to be remembered for. I think he had something to do with the writing of his own eulogy here. I think he's like, I don't, yeah, I killed Goliath. Yeah, I expanded the borders. I had some victories, some battles, you know. But you know what I want y'all to remember he has? Remember me as? Israel's singer of songs. Please remember me for that. And he was. I mean, the Psalms are the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. <laughs> he was a worshiper of God, guys. This He just loved God. But there's one more piece to David's legacy that I've got to leave you with. Don't turn the podcast off just yet. There's one more thing he left behind in his legacy, or rather, one more person. His heir. Not Solomon, not that son of David. I'm talking now about his heir who sits on his throne forever. Still to this day and into eternity. I'm talking, of course, about our King, Jesus Christ. See, David becomes a a, a type. If you study Old Testament typology, David becomes a type, a prefigure, a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. It was prophesied over and over. I don't have time to read all the prophecies. Over and over it was prophesied that a mighty and wonderful son of David would rule one day on David's throne forever over God's people. Then a thousand years later, this Jesus comes on the scene, descended from David, from David's line, born in Bethlehem, David's hometown. That was part of the prophecy, by the way. And then claiming to be, quote, the good shepherd, just as David had been a shepherd boy who shepherded God's people. It wasn't long before people began calling this Jesus the son of David. And then in Peter's first big sermon in Acts 2, it was, go read it, it was all about this connection between David and Jesus. And then in the Apostle Paul's writings, in the epistle, in the epistles, repeatedly, Paul makes this the same connection. 
He makes this connection between David and Jesus a central tenet of the gospel message. Paul's letters make it clear that the gospel, the good news that we've staked everything on, that it's all about the son of David. Go study it out. He's showing us that this good news reaches back. It's not just for now and for for the future, but it actually reaches back, way back, into the ancient past of days gone by, into the annals of the kings of old, the time of the kings, back to David. But then it proceeds forward into eternity when all will rise at that last resurrection for judgment and King Jesus, the son of David, the great king forever, will sit on his throne and establish his kingdom for all time, defeating his enemies, bringing peace to his board, the borders of his kingdom once and for all, and bringing restoration between all the nations, bringing prosperity, bringing peace. When the temple of God will, will be among us forever. And as we sing in that, that old spiritual At that time, King Jesus, he'll fix it. My Jesus, he will fix it. Make no mistake, he will. After a while, King Jesus will come back, sit on his throne, and he will fix it. This is still the good news, still the gospel that the world desperately needs right now, that a son of David will return, a king, not a politician, not a president or a prime minister or a general or or, or an activist. No, the son of David will return. Oh, that's what we long for. He will fix it. This is still the good news that the son of David will reign forever on the throne. Jesus is David. Jesus was the king that David might have been. The true man after God's own heart. Jesus. It's him. David was just pointing to him. In fact, the very heart of God himself beat in Jesus' chest. Both David and Jesus were men whose hearts were fully alive. Go go read the stories about them. Both of them, they were just men who lived full lives. I mean, they were filled with heated passion. They were fiery men, emotional men, men on a mission, passionate, burdened with great purpose. Both of them were. Yet Jesus never let emotion lead into lust or sin the way David did, did he? Not once. Because Jesus is the king that we're all longing for, a perfect ruler, a head taller than all the rest, untainted by that lust for power that is so common to kings and leaders, a kind, caring, gentle, humble shepherd king who is also fiercely defensive for his precious flock killing the lion and the bear, slaying the dragon, defeating our enemy, our giant, the devil, slinging the stone of the cross, laying down his own life for his sheep only to take it up again after three days in the ground. Jesus was the king, the man 
that David might have been. In fact, on some level, Jesus was the person we were all born to be. All the good stuff, none of the bad. The full and complete image of God in action on earth. That's what we were made to be. It's what Jesus was. Even if you go back to the prophecies about Solomon, the original son of David, that he would sit on the throne. We we, we knew, we see that 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 was also a prophecy about Jesus being the, the true Solomon, the true son of David, to come and sit on David's throne. But I wonder if there's yet a third fulfillment for those prophecies, a tertiary fulfillment. It wasn't just Solomon. It wasn't just Jesus to sit on the throne. Doesn't the Bible say that, and I don't want to be heretical here, but aren't we to be sons and daughters of God who reign with him forever in heaven? Aren't we called to be that? Aren't we told, isn't it told, foretold that that's going to be us? Aren't we to be the children who stumble into Narnia through the wardrobe of baptism and turn out to be the kings and queens of all the land when we stumble into it? Ah, yes, I think we're on to something here. Like Peter in his watershed sermon in Acts 2, we are still declaring to the world, and I'm declaring to you today as I wrap up this series, that the son of David has come indeed. The lion of Judah has come. Our king defeated the grave and all of our enemies for us. And we, like Jesus, will rise unto new life, to life to the full. He rose. He was victorious, and so shall we be. We rise first to new life at our baptism. We will rise again to eternal life at the sound of his voice when he returns in total triumph, leading the armies of heaven. Triumph over death, over hell, over sin once and for all when our king, the son of David, will establish peace over the borders of his kingdom once and for all. Our Aslan, our Lion of Judah, our king. So we do not weep. No, as it says in Revelation chapter 5, look, look, dear Christian, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we declare in loud voice, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And so, brothers and sisters, we will spend our eternity praising this Son of David, our King our Jesus. I will praise the Lord today, for He is all my hope and stay. A God is good, His name is great, hallelujah. 